Well, it was Christmas Eve, 1914. The world was plunged into a devastating conflict, which was World War I. Nations were clashing against nations. Global struggle for power and supremacy, and hundreds of thousands of people were left for dead. The trenches of Europe bore witness to unimaginable suffering that we can never possibly realize. They faced horrors beyond comprehension. This moment in time was known for bloodshed, constant thunder of artillery. But on Christmas Eve night in 1914, something incredible happened. Along certain stretches of the front lines, soldiers from opposing sides laid down their arms and had a peace agreement for Christmas Eve. It's known as the Christmas Truce. So on that holy night amidst the cold and darkness, fragile truce emerged. Enemies who had been just hours before locked in warfare, no longer embracing their weapons, began to embrace one another. Showing their profound humanity, they sang carols, they exchanged small gifts, and they even played an impromptu game of football, otherwise for us Americans, soccer. Think about this. These guys are playing soccer after shooting at each other the day before. Isn't that wild? They were longing for peace, right? Imagine being in the midst of a war, you long for peace. This thing that you are in has been started by hatred, by wickedness, by darkness, And even though it filled all the land, for a moment, maybe for a few hours, there was a glimmer of hope and a glimmer for peace. They wanted peace. They didn't want this hatred. They wanted to get out of the mess, not what brought them into it. So for the darkest moment, there was peace. Now, many of us would probably say we are not in the trenches of warfare today. Right? I don't know about you, what you do on the weekends, but you're probably not battling each other in the trenches of warfare. I mean, some of you all do it on Facebook with, other, with one another, but not the trenches of warfare, right? But I think all of us can agree that there is a place in our lives where we are longing for peace. That there's just darkness creeping into our lives. There is brokenness. There is despair. We feel like we have no hope. All we see around us as we yearn for peace, as we yearn for wholeness, All we see is chaos, pain, or conflict. And whenever we experience this, as a believer, we begin to express our faith while wrestling with it. Right? We see passages like this in Philippians chapter 4, and it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Sounds pretty easy. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He goes on, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we yearn for, right? I want peace. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to worry. God, I want to be thankful. God, give me this peace. Just give me this peace that transcends understanding. So we cry out to God, God, please just change the story for a moment. Change the conflict. Remove the conflict from my life. In many reasons, one of the reasons why we struggle with this is because we believed a half-truth. The half-truth is, if you look up in the dictionary what peace means, it says the absence of conflict. Right? So we believe then that the, just the idea of peace is just to not have conflict in our life. But that's not the full truth. Because we're going to see here today that the full truth is that peace is not the absence of conflict, but the perfect presence of Jesus. I say that because if you remove something, something will fill its place. 
And what would that be? Because if we remove our conflict, we're going to fill it filled with something else. Something from ourselves, right? If I say, I'm not going to worry about this one area of my life, what are you going to worry about? Another area of your life. But it's about the perfect presence of Jesus. So around 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah received a vision. Isaiah sees God on his throne. He sees the glory of the Lord filling the temple, and he falls down on his face and begins to worship God. And he says, God, wherever you want me to go, send me. I will take on this position of leadership. So Isaiah becomes a prophet. He goes around Israel calling people to return back to God. He's like, hey, you all have broken your covenant. You have broken your agreement. You need to return to God. Because Israel was marked by suffering. They were marked by their rebellion. See, they were living in a place that God had promised them that would be a place of prosperity, the place of milk and honey, right? This would be the place of no warfare if they held up their bargain or their end of the agreement, the covenant. But their rebellion and their, their breaking of their end of the covenant brought judgment upon them over and over and over again as they faced foreign invaders such as Assyria and Babylon. They faced corruption within their own kings and prophetic leaders. But all of them all along were warning them to return to God. And what the prophets were saying is that any darkness you were living in in that time period, it was that you have brought it upon yourself. Or that your nation has brought it upon yourself. So they find themselves 700 years before Jesus in the time of darkness, brokenness, sin, and despair. The people of God long for hope. They long for peace. They long for a deliverer. And so Isaiah comes in in chapter 9 and begins this prophetic word. He says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. So the prophet Isaiah begins to preach and proclaim that a light was coming into darkness. He speaks of a future event that will happen. But he says the people of God have been walking in darkness. The darkness that has been brought by their rebellion, the darkness that comes from invasion, the darkness that comes from warfare and corruption. But he says a new light has come. Have you ever been in a place of utter darkness? Anybody? Really? Not, I figured most of you all would like, yeah. Mammoth Cave in Kentucky is one I always remember. You gotta go down in the earth and in this massive space and they turn off all the lights and you just can't even like see your own hand, right? How do you feel in that moment? A little uneasy, a little bit creeped out, and then all of a sudden the tour guide shines a flashlight or they do a lighter or whatever it is, and all of a sudden you see just a little light. And it was in the midst of a dark space, you have for a moment a little bit of peace in your anxiety, a little bit of hope. That something's, the light is now here and you can find your way out. Now, when I grew up, uh, I always needed a pitch black room to sleep at night. Like if you have like a, uh, a smoke detector, that little blinking light just drives me nuts when I'm trying to go to sleep. So you got to put a little piece of tape over it, but then you just can't remember if the batteries are dead or not. So don't do that. But then uh, when we got married, Katie introduced the ceiling fan, which I never slept with the ceiling fan going. Now... I have to have pitch black and a ceiling fan. Because if I go to a hotel room, 
uh, if it's pitch black and dead silent, I am so on edge. Right? I, just, I can't sleep because I'm just getting anxious. I'm getting, like, I start worrying about something. I don't even know what else. So I got to go like the like, white noise on my Spotify account and put it on a 10-hour playlist while I try to go to sleep, right? But darkness creeps us out. Darkness brings us anxiety. Darkness covers our lives, and sometimes we are walking in it. And Isaiah says that is how the people of God were living. They were walking in darkness. But he says a light has dawned. What's this light he's referring to? See, in verse 1, he speaks of future tense, speaking of Galilee, the region where Jesus spent most of his time in ministry. But then in verse 2, he shifts to past tense when speaking of the light that has come. Right? One commentator suggests this. He says he is demonstrating the certainty of his prophecy, indicating that, was, that what was to happen in the future was as sure as to happen as it already occurred. God would bring light to a people in darkness, and they would see that light dawning and bring joy to their lives. He says, this light is coming and already has come. It is for sure going to happen. What's he speaking to? He's speaking about the coming of Jesus, right? The man who would walk by the Sea of Galilee and proclaim, I am the light of what? The world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And for people living in darkness, the promise of lights that would come would embolden them. It would give them courage. It would give them strength. And that's exactly what Isaiah is trying to do within his ministry. He wants them to be emboldened, wants them to be encouraged to come back to the covenant of God. He wants them to stop walking in darkness and return to the presence of God. He goes on in verse 3. He says, you have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice with the, with the, when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you, mean God, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot, back one, thank you, used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So Isaiah speaks of a further hope, a future hope, that's coming as he speaks of the people's joy increasing and the nation growing he would deliver them supernaturally as he did when he spoke about the defeat of Midian. This is from the story of Gideon, which you're probably familiar with. The story of Judges. The Midianite oppression in that story was marked by a terrible conflict and a terrible oppression for the Israelites. And this is 500 years before Isaiah begins to prophesy. He's like, look back at that time where God delivered you from the Midianite oppression. The yoke of your burdens were taken away and God brought you out of that. And just like in that day, this will happen once again. This deliverance will be removing the burden and the yoke off people's back. This deliverance will also bring the destruction, did you see it, of the implements of warfare. He says there's going to come a day where the, the yoke of your burden will be gone. The, the work that you are suffering through will be gone. The oppression will be gone. But the instruments of warfare will be gone. He says and here we see something beautiful happening. The light that is coming is not just a light. It's a what? A person. 
A person is coming. A Messiah is coming. Of this Messiah, Isaiah says he would be born a child, a son born to us, a nation of Israel, the covenant people of God. He's like, he'll be from your own people. And he will rule over the people of God in the entire world. He says the government will be placed on his shoulders, not just your government, the government of this world will be placed on his shoulders, ruling over this world. As a king puts on a royal robe, the government will be placed on his shoulders. And while the kings of Israel that they knew and the nations all around them were wicked, they messed up. If you ever study 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, it's pretty much this. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, over and over and over again. He says, you all have seen nothing but terrible examples of kings. Even though the ones, if we had some good ones, they were still flawed humans. He says, but a king is coming who will never disappoint you. He'll be something different. And Isaiah describes his character this way. He says this, four things. He says, one, his character will be defined by the name Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor, one who provides wisdom and correction, but one that you also desire to listen to. Right? So not just one who spews uh, advice at you, but one that you want to come sit at his feet and say, help me in this situation. Help me in my darkness. Be a counselor and be wonderful to me. He also says he'll be mighty God. He wasn't just another Messiah-like figure that they've seen over and over again. This would be God in the flesh. He says everlasting Father. One who has been, one who always will be. Not from this space and time, but from everlasting to everlasting. The Alpha and the Omega, possessing the very nature and character of the Father. And the last one he says is Prince of Peace. One that will govern not with power and might and as a tyrant, but one that will govern with peace. Not in the sense of understanding of our world, but the perfect peace. The, the Jewish word, the Hebrew word that we hear a lot in Scripture is shalom. And we translate it many times in Scripture. English translations will say not just peace, they'll say peace, peace. Because what we believe is that peace and shalom is something more, something more than just peace, it's wholeness, right? So it's peace and wholeness coming together, and it's perfection. He says, this king who's coming, this prince of peace, will be a prince of wholeness, a prince of this. So it's not just the absence of war and strife, but it's a perfect presence of justice, righteousness, and covenantal blessing. He says, this is the one who's coming. This is the Messiah, God in flesh, this new king who will rule on David's throne for eternity. And he's going to be bringing peace. And he'll establish his rule and reign forever. And he finishes off his beautiful prophecy with the words, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As if he's saying to the people, take heart, sit back, I'm in control. What I've said I'm going to do, I will do. I will accomplish my plans. And for the people who are living in darkness, this would have been the greatest news possible. Light is coming. It will happen. God is on the move. But the crazy thing is, it wouldn't happen for 700 years. 700 years after Isaiah uttered these words, would this child be born? Over the period, the people of God would continue to walk in darkness. They had moments of joy. They had moments of peace, but ultimately they kept walking in darkness. The northern and the southern kingdoms would be invaded and destroyed by nations like Assyria, by nations like Babylon. 
the people would be sent into exile for 70 years in Babylon and eventually uh, fall to the Persians. And whenever they did return to the land, the people found the city and the temple in utter ruins. But even then, they held on to the hope that light was coming. So they rebuilt their city, they rebuilt their walls, they rebuilt their temple, and yet, even when darkness remained, they had hope. But then all of a sudden, the voices of the prophets, the people who spoke judgment but also spoke peace, the people who spoke of, of sin and rebellion that also spoke of grace, they stopped speaking. They stopped speaking, and for 400 years, God was not speaking through prophets. But that does not mean that God was not working. God was still working behind the scenes, doing what only he could do. But during that time, new world leaders came to power, such as Rome, a nation who had its grips all over the world and their oppressive thumb down upon the people of God. And the people of God found themselves with a darkness surrounding them that was almost too much to handle. Oppression, judgment, corruption, rebellion. Did God forget about them? Did God not listen to them? They were longing for peace, longing for hope. Was there any chance of it again, or did God change his mind? What they didn't know was that things were about to change because God was still working. Light was still coming. As Paul writes in Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. The silence of 400 years was interrupted with a cry of an infant. Right, The darkness of their land was filled with the night sky of heavenly hosts and a star appearing to point people to this new king. Right, The silence and the darkness were, coming, were going away because light was entering into the world. There's a massive scene as the heavenly hosts of angels are filling the night sky. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those who his favor rests. They said this message was here, this good news for all people. This good news was so great that the heavens broke open and the night sky was filled with worship and they were singing glory to God in the highest and peace to you. Light had come into the world in the person of Jesus. Peace was now here. That perfect shalom, that perfect wholeness was now present as Jesus cried out for his mother. It was perfected. It was perfected not because conflict ran away. His conflict was still there. Right? As Jesus was born, what's the conflict? There's a wicked king just a mile or two away wanting to kill every baby. Right? They're still under the oppression of Rome. They still have corruption in the religious leaders and the Pharisees. But everything changed when the perfect peace stepped into the world. And he was here as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Here to establish his kingdom and lead his people with righteousness and justice and love. This kingdom that he was building would see no end. And as we as a people of God today who follow Jesus, we are now living in the kingdom building work of Jesus. We are now active participants in this kingdom building work. And I think many of us today need to be reminded that the Prince of Peace has come. The Prince of Peace, Jesus, has come. One whose peace surpasses understanding, but it still says what? It will guard our hearts. 
to use the words of Isaiah, have you seen this great light? Have you seen the great light of Jesus? Or are you still living and walking and wandering around this world in darkness? And I get it. There's a lot of darkness in this world. There's a lot of darkness in our lives, right? You just turn on the news and we have endless wars in, in the Middle East, over in Sudan. We see conflict as mass shootings in our own country. We see poverty. We see uh, drug addictions. We see all this brokenness in this world. And we're like, God, where is this light? The light is shining in heaven on the throne of God right now. We don't see it so often because all we want to do is stay in darkness and look at it. We just want to dwell in our own little pity party of darkness. We're like, whoa, 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 the world's getting darker. Christians, did you know we're actually supposed to be hopeful? Because if I read the last sections of Scripture called Revelation, you're like, Revelation is confusing. I can sum it up in two words. Jesus wins. The world, in some perspective, is getting darker, but it says that light that has come is going to come again, and there will be no more sun because the, the, the glory of God will fill eternity. So actually, we are one step closer to the sun rising once again, and we're on the foothold footsteps of light shining for eternity. It's not getting darker. It's on the verge of getting brighter. The light has coming. Light has coming. We have seen a great light, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He has come to do what we cannot do. He has come so we don't have to walk in darkness. He has come so we don't have to walk in death. He has come to bring us into his light, bring us into our life. And if you're waiting for the conflict, the pain, the strife, and the injustice to disappear from your life, let me tell you, you're going to wait until you see Jesus that the things that we experience will be present until we step into eternity where there's a place of no more sin, no more shame, no more pain. So you say, I, 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 I got to get all these things figured out first before I follow Jesus. That's not going to happen. This is not going to happen. But things can change when we come into an experience with Jesus. Your conflict may stay there. Your circumstances may actually get worse. But one thing is sure, your eternity and the joy you can experience today through the peace of God that transcends understanding and guards your heart will change everything. All the things that we experience in this life have an expiration date on it, the good and the bad. And because of the Prince of Peace who brings justice and hope and a future has come. And this Prince of Peace is currently, right now, on the throne of heaven, seated, because his work of salvation has been done. And we are now participating in what he's doing all over this world, building his kingdom, not our own, proclaiming his goodness and mercies, not our own, participating in his kingdom work, his kingdom that has no end. And one day when he returns, all of those that... Uh, all those things that lead us to darkness, they're all going to disappear and they will not even be a thought in our minds anymore. He will be with us and we will be with him. For some of you today, this might be the very first time you have ever considered Jesus. And you know better than I do what it means for you to be walking in darkness. You're like, you have no idea what baggage I brought into this church building this morning. You have no idea what baggage I brought into this church building this morning. 
You have no idea what the person sitting next to you has brought in this morning. There's not a single perfect person in this room. Sorry to let you all down. That's why Phil walked out. Now we can say it. (laughs) But if you're expecting perfection, you're like, what good do I have to do to experience that perfection? There's not enough you can do. It's all about trusting in the one who's done everything for you. It's about trusting in the name of Jesus. As you are searching this world, you're like, I'm trying to find meaning. I'm trying to find hope. I'm trying to find a, a purpose in my life. I'm trying to figure out what is God's will or is there, is there a God? Is there a perfect will? Is there a security? What is it that we have? And all I feel in this life is anxiety and depression and brokenness and shame. God, I just want to have a little bit of light. I want to have a little bit of peace. Well, stop looking at the darkness and start looking at the light of the world. Start looking at Jesus and the peace that's now here in him is perfected, not in the presence, absence of conflict, but in his presence with you. He longs to be with you. He longs to be with you as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and prince of peace. He wants to come alongside you and take you out from that grave and unto the, the, the newness of life. He wants to take you out of darkness and start walking with him in the light. He's looking at you today and he's proclaiming that he himself is the light of the world. So I challenge you, if you're walking in darkness, cling to him today. Allow him to become the prince of peace in your life. No, it will not change everything. It won't change your situation or circumstances, but your eternity and your final destination will change. Because knowing him changes everything. And you begin to experience peace today. But for those of us who know Christ and we're walking with him, we're like, yeah, see, I got, my, I got one foot in the light of Jesus and I have one foot back here in my darkness. Like, I just can't get out of it. Sure you can. Just move your other foot. You're staying there because you want to. You're staying there because that pain that you experience is that you're holding on to it. Maybe back here, it's, uh, I'm, I don't feel like I can forgive somebody. I get that. Forgiveness is really hard. But we've been forgiven by an almighty God. And he empowers us to forgive ourselves, forgive others, step into light. Maybe that foot back here is still in shame, marked by the sin that you're still clinging to. It says in Hebrews that we can throw those things off that hinder us and run. Not crawl, run. Run towards our Savior, Jesus. The ultimate shame that we don't want to experience, he already took upon himself when he went on the cross. And he says he scorned the shame. He scorned the shame. Any darkness that we still have in our lives is because we're still allowing it to exist. Maybe we need to turn off the news for a minute. Not become people who are like, I'm just going to tune it all out. No, no, no. Just look at it from a different perspective. If you turn on the news and you feel like there's just no hope in the world, open your Bible before you watch the news. Spend time in God's Word, not in talking heads. If you're spending time on scrolling on Facebook or social media, like, I am just so depressed. Well, you just spent five hours on TikTok. That's, that's on you. Or maybe switch up your algorithm and watch cute animal videos. Those are better and helpful for me. I don't know. But step out of darkness into Light, because light has come and it is shining right 
now. And it will shine throughout all eternity. So stop stepping back into it and step fully into the presence of God where we can experience wholeness and peace. Every head bowed and eyes closed. We're just going to spend time praying. That's what I want to challenge you as we consider God's word. As we consider the holiness and the beauty of God, the perfection of Jesus. Just see him on his throne. Imagine the scene that Isaiah saw was as his glory filled the temple. Isaiah fell flat on his face and worshiped. When you see God and his beauty, what do you, how do you respond to that? Because his presence demands a response. And you think about what, it, what was it that caused Isaiah to fall on his face that he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of brokenness. I'm a man of sin. And that's how we all come to God. We don't come in our boast. We don't come in our pride saying, God, look what I have done. God, we know we come before him and we say, look at my brokenness. Look at my sin. Look at my rebellious spirit, my rebellious heart. Look at the pain that I've caused in my life, the pain I've caused in other people's lives. But we don't stay there. We don't stay there because God has sent Jesus to pull us out of darkness, pull us out of our shame, pull us out of death, and to walk with him and to make us a new creation. So today we can say, I look less like myself and more like Jesus. So I want you to pray for yourself in the situations you find yourself in. If today you're like, I've never experienced Jesus, I've never chosen to follow him, may today that day. Just offer up yourself to him and say, God, you are a beautiful and amazing God. God, thank you that you made me in your image. And when you saw us, you said it was very good. And because I'm made in your image, I am worthy of love and respect and honor. And I have dignity as a human created in your image. Praise God for that. But then confess But God, even though as I know I'm made in your image, the only image I present to you is one that's marked by my sin and my rebellion. And God, you know the things of my heart that I struggle with. And God, you know the things of the hearts of every person here today. So as we confess these things over to you, God, we let go of those things and grab fully hold of your son, Jesus, who came in the form of a newborn baby, a cry that broke the silence, a star appeared that broke the night sky of darkness. And he walked this life, and he lived a perfect life. He experienced trials and temptation and pain, yet he was fully devoted to the cross fully devoted to us. So he set his eyes on the cross. He marched towards it. The cross that had my name on it, he took for himself. He took for the world. The sin that I have, the sin that we have, placed upon his shoulders, but his love and his peace endured it. 
He did all of that so we could have life and life abundantly, not just in eternity, but now today as well. We know that he did not stay dead. He rose up from the grave so we too can experience our resurrection day. So I pray for anyone today here in the service or watching online that they've never experienced you. I pray that right now they say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want this peace that surpasses understanding. I want to be known that I am guarded with you. And for the rest of us who are still wandering this world in darkness, kind of one step in the door, one step out of the door, I pray that we can fully step into your light, fully step into your presence and worship and hold on to you because we know that you are holding on to us. And we say, but what about this over here? Jesus has already taken care of it. What about my circumstances? They may not change, but Jesus holds the future and he's holding you and me. And we can cling to him and we can trust in him. We can follow him faithfully, even when everything else around us tells us otherwise. Step into the light because light has come. It will have no end. It will be from everlasting to everlasting. The darkness you are living in now is only there because you continue to allow it to be present in your life. The Prince of Peace has come. Would you cling to him today? Amen.